Hey, just a note. Um, if it feels, it shouldn't yet because it's still cool out, but by the end of the service with these lights, I'll feel it. But um, if it gets a little sticky in here, uh, one of our new rooftop units, RTUs, wasn't lined up correctly and the drain couldn't keep up. So Thursday night, um, we have a lift. I was on the lift back over here, moving ceiling tiles. And by the way, the water that has been taken out of the air through a condenser into an HVAC pipe or drain and then onto the ducts when it falls in your mouth doesn't taste great. So, you know, um, but that we got Parkway out here on Friday and they said, we're not gonna be able to fix it today. It'll be Monday, so don't run it. So the fan's on, but it's not gonna take any moisture out of the air. The commons is gonna feel great, but in here, if you get cold when you're in here, you're gonna love today. Okay, all right, let's, uh, let's, let me offer a prayer and then we're gonna, we're starting a, a three-week series on Life in community, and that doesn't mean just here, that means how are Christians to live in the world. And today, I gave you this a little heads up last week, uh, today we're going to talk about what the, what the church has brought to the world in the last couple of millennia. So there's going to be a little history, uh, but sometimes because we're so used to the concepts and the principles from this New Testament, sometimes we forget how revolutionary what Jesus said and how his, his followers uh, behave. We forget how revolutionary that was and still is. So today we're going to be looking at a world that, that wasn't, that was in desperate need of revolution from Scripture and the world today needs it just as much as it did before. So we might not be wanted or appreciated, but we are needed. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for, for coming here, uh, for being willing to love people enough to become one of us and to show us not only how to live, but to make it possible for us to live in you. The gift of faith that you give us is something we, yeah, we can't do on our own. It comes only from you through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So we ask you, Lord, today, through your spirit, to speak to us today. Remind us of what the world would look like without you by looking at what the world looked like before you. Join us, speak to us, and let us see, hear, and receive what you want us to see hear, and receive. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, last week, I mentioned that one of the ways the, the, the church made a name for itself, especially in Rome, was that children were cast off, cast out, and left to die of exposure, and Christians would follow people around. They knew the three or four places in every, every little neighborhood where people would throw away their children, and the church would go and rescue those children, and... Um, and raise them as their own. And I mentioned a letter from a Roman soldier back to his wife, and I, I was going from memory. I just wanted, and I told you I'd try to have it this week. I have it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read this paragraph. But this is firsthand evidence for the practice of infanticide from an ancient source. I'll try to, I'll try to, try to pronounce this right. Uh, Oxyrhynchus papyri. Um, it was a letter found fr from a, a, a Roman soldier, Hilarion, to his wife, Alice, but A-L-I-S, in 1 B.C. Know that I am still in Alexandria. I ask you and entreat you to take care of the child. And if I receive my pay soon, I will send it to you. Above all, if you bear a child and it is male, let it be. If it is female, cast it out. 
real world stuff. And that was actually a virtue. So people virtue signaled then just like they virtue signal now. We're going to look, I'm just going to read like the center section of the Sermon on the Mount, something that we're very familiar with. Um, and, and, and I can tell you that when I was in seminary, Tim Brown was my preaching professor. Um, and he, he, he showed up one day and he said this, he goes, hey, put, it's going to be something kind of old, but put your notebooks away, put down your pens. I just want you to listen. We got to, I got to review something that you, you've heard before, but it's a little old, but you know, so he kind of downplayed it. And then from memory, he recited the Sermon on the Mount as if he were just speaking it in conversation. And I got to tell you, I had read through it many times, but I had never heard it, truly. Um, these are revolutionary things. And I, I'm going to start, it's not, this part's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going I'm to start with something that would have never been said or taught ever in the Roman world or actually in the Jewish world. And that is, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the, the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. There was no sense of mercy in that world. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers. This is Rome. Blessed are the, are the, the, the Roman Empire. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the first century, even as a Jew under Roman occupation, if you heard a teacher speak those words, unheard of. It is completely upside down from what the world as a whole believed to be true. So we're used to it. We think, oh yeah, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, blessed are the meek. But it was completely, and I'll, and I'll, show, you, I'll show you why. Uh, I'll show you more about what the world looked like back then and what, the, what they were thinking and what Christianity has offered the world in a moment. But let's read some of this Sermon on the Mount. You, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rakah, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in the dangers of the fire, or danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you, you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in, in, with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. 
Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of a great king. And you do not, and, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, virtue signaling, your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by men. You wonder why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teacher of the law got upset with him. I tell you the truth that you have received your reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not let, do not pray like the, or, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will, be, uh, they will be heard because of their many words. And do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Unthinkable. We are so used to it. We feel like it's innate, this idea of others first or considering those lesser than you or, or, or looking at someone who, who is disabled in some way, someone who is doesn't have any power looking at them with mercy and grace, but the, there was no grace in the Roman world. This was a brand new concept, and it changed the whole world. All of Western civilization comes from this one man who was God, who spoke truth in the midst of utter secularism. They had gods. 
but the gods were there to do their bidding, and you just had to keep appease your deity. So I'm going to just tell you some things that, I, that I've learned, and there's a couple of, couple of authors you might want to look up if you want. One is named Crawford Luritz. He says this about the church, speaking of the, the, the impact that the church has had. He says, the church is the destination at which culture needs to, or at least should, arrive. Andy Stanley, many of you know him, uh, or know of him. He says that the church provides the strongest argument for dignity of the individual and human rights. And if you look around the world, we'll see that justice, true justice, biblical justice, mercy and grace are brand new concepts in humanity just in the last 2,000 years. C.S. Lewis one time, uh, he was known, I don't know if you know this, he was, a, he was an academic, I believe he was an English professor, um, but his conversion to Christ really deepened um, when his wife got sick, uh, but he, he was notorious for being late, as many academics are. And so in London, he was, at a he was supposed to be at a conference where a gathering of church leaders from all around Europe were there. One of the symposiums or one of the conferences or the breakout sessions, they were discussing what is it that Christianity brings to the world that no other religious system does? Because there are others like the Bodhisattva man in, in, uh, in, in uh, Buddhism, the God-man, there are other uh, old Greek gods in the, in the Greek or Roman pantheon. There are other gods that became men, so to speak. Um, so the idea of an incarnation, it's not unique to Christianity. So there's this big, long academic debate coming, going on. And C.S. Lewis walks in late and they go, hey, uh, what do you think, Professor Lewis? What is it that Christianity brings to the, to the world that no other religious or worldview system does? He goes, that's easy grace. And he walked out. But getting what you don't deserve, being rewarded by a deity, not because of what you've done, but because of who he is, brand new concept. Philip Yancey in a book called Vanishing Grace says this, those who condemn the church for its blind spots do so by gospel principles, arguing the very moral values that the gospel, that the gospel originally set loose on the world. Yancey continues, he says, human rights, civil rights, women's rights, minority rights, disable, disability rights, even animal rights all come from the concept of taking care of those who can't take care of themselves or the dignity, the image bearer of all people. All people are image bearers of God, whether they're following God or not. So this whole concept of looking out for those who are oppressed, those who, who don't have voice, all comes from the church. The success of these modern movements reflects the widespread empathy for the oppressed that has no precedent in the ancient world. Classical philosophers considered mercy and pity to be character defects, contrary to, judges, uh, to, ju to justice, until Jesus... Those concepts were weakness. There's a guy named Jeremiah Johnston in his book, Unimaginable, recommended, by the way. He speaks of the Roman Empire. One in four people in the, Ro in the whole of the Roman Empire were slaves. Aristotle, the father of psychology, and in what we would consider philosophy, he was Roman. And he had some things that he said that we would find repulsive. In a book... Um, uh, in, a, in, in a writing, uh, Ethica Nicomachia, I don't do Latin, uh, 
chapter 8, verse 11, he says, the slave is the living tool and the tool a lifeless slave. In, political, in Politica, Aristotle writes, slaves are subhuman or lesser men while masters are superior. Slaves were property and therefore owners could sexually, physically, emotionally, and any other way exploit female, male, and children slaves with impunity. With impunity. The Roman law of the 12 tables says this, a notably deformed child shall be killed immediately. That was law. Women were given voice because of the Christianity in the church for the first time in human history. They were able, because of Christ Christians, were the first to say to a woman, instead of getting married, forced into marriage at 11 or 12 years old, you can choose your own husband. Now, that might not seem like a big deal now, but what if you were 12 years old and you were about to be married off to somebody else, but your family became Christian and you were told you can marry later or not at all? Some of, some of it is simply the, the, how, how women were treated and how, uh, how the world was. We don't understand necessarily that, that, that we've tried a few times in our history to go back to the way it was, to get rid of God. And I want to say this, to those who want a godless society, I don't think there's anyone sitting in this room that, that, that does, um, but for those who want a godless society, they may get what they want, but they will not want what they get. Some of, some of it is simply terrifying. This is Jeremiah Johnstone. Today's atheists and nihilists do not know what they're, that they're playing with fire, a fire that could destroy our civilization. What ended racism? What ended slavery? What ended systemic abuse of children and women? What ended gross ignorance and superstition? The church. What ended the pre prevalent practice of slavery during the Greco-Roman era was the revolutionary Christian message that came from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. This radical Christian idea took, took root in the culture and changed the world for millennia. Now, there's been atheistic philosophers. Have you ever heard of Friedrich Nietzsche? Nietzsche? Existentialist philosopher, atheist, hated Christianity. His view of the superman, not like Superman, but the Superman was what inspired Hitler to create the master race. He also inspired Mussolini and Stalin. The great majority, this is a quote from him, the great majority of men have no right to existence, but are a misfortune to higher or greater men. In rejecting Christianity, the radical atheism of the 20th century did not take humanity forward into enlightened post Christian utopia, but it took, it took humanity back to pre-Christian barbarism. More people were murdered in the name of godlessness in the 20th century than all wars that the United States has ever been a part of. In order for people, Christians, when they started letting their minds 
be filled with God, they're transformed by the renewing of their mind. The idea was that we want to know God. And because God says that he reveals himself even in nature, in the, in the, in the created world, the idea of science was there before, but it was just the intuitive mind is supposed to be thinking and therefore, da, 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 da. but the whole idea of the scientific method where you, 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 you hypothesize, you, um, you experiment, and then you try to repeat results, Christians. If you want to know more about that, read a guy named Robert Grosseteste. I think I'm saying that right. He was a Franciscan bishop and the first chancellor of Oxford in the 13th century. The gift of beauty and the support for the arts came from the church. Some of the most beautiful and lasting music has come from Christians. The idea of hospitals and the practice of modern medicine the church because of the healing ministry of Jesus. Philip Scoff notes the old Roman world was a world without charity. The Hippocratic Oath comes from, comes from the Old Testament of Scripture, the first do no harm. Care for the sick and dying was unthinkable in the first century. Early church father Dionysius, Dionysius uh, he said in the third century, he was a bishop, uh, that he writes of a plague in Alexandria, where the pagans cast aside their sick on public roads, and once they died, did not even return to bury them. Christians, though, visited those sick, pulled them into their own homes, and often got sick and died as a result. But they, the testimony was that I die with joy out of service to my king. There was no such thing, no concept of hospice care until 325 A.D., the Council of Nicaea, once Christianity was legal, they all met together. What is it that we do believe? And one of the few things that went out is that every city in Christendom that owns or that has a cathedral, you must start a hospice and care for those who cannot care for themselves, those who become a burden on society, they will not be a burden to us. The first true hospital was built uh, in Caesarea of Cappadocia, Asia Minor, in 369 AD. Now, the, the, the Arab Muslims were known for their hospital care, but their first hospital didn't come along for another 400 years. Women are free in Christianity. They aren't free anywhere else. In the fourth century, on the role of women in the church, Christian, this is what a guy named Chrysostos, lots of weird names, Christostrum, he says that the women of the first century in the Roman Empire to be able to choose their husbands, I've already said that one, but um, so hold on, I, gotta, I wanna find the one more though. No. Freedom for, freedom for slaves in the, oh, this is it. In the first century, there were slaves. 75% of Alexandria, one in four in the whole Roman Empire, were slaves. Um, many Christians were known to free up to 8,000 slaves. One very wealthy aristocratic woman who was a widow, she inherited her husband's stuff, and because she was Christian, they didn't take all of her stuff away from her. After her conversion, used her vast wealth to buy and free as many slaves as she could. It was not only illegal to free slaves, but she could have been put to death. The idea that the masses should know how to read comes from the church because we want all to be a full expression of the person, 
that God made them to be. And knowledge is important. And because everything that we believe comes from a book, we want all to have, that's what the, much of what the Reformation was about from the last 500 years. We want this to be in the hands of all people, not just the clerics. So all this is to say that even though we're not appreciated, we are needed. And I want to poke you a little bit. I don't want to, <laughs> never do. But sometimes we hear this stuff and we see where the world is going and we want to fight. And maybe we should. There are times to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, to say, nope, that's against the law of God. But John Piper at a missionary conference, he had some things to say about missionaries all around the world. Atheist sociologists recognize that when missionaries go to a foreign land and they, after they've established themselves, that something sends, tends to change around there. Moves of democracy rise up. Women being treated with respect and dignity rise up. Children no longer cast aside. A voice for the voiceless comes to rise up. But if they were state-sponsored missionaries or if they were there to start a sociological movement, they failed every time. It was an unintended consequence. It's thereafter conversions of souls, renewal pulled away from the worship of false gods into eternity with the one true God. When you ma marry these two things together, conversion to Christ by the Spirit through the faith producing, uh, through faith producing two things, rescue from the wrath of God into worshiping of Christ and practical moral transformation of life. Neither of them is authentic without the other. What people revere, they resemble whether for ruin or restoration. Therefore, those who pour their energy into restoration with no root in reverence will fail. But if you pour your heart, your mind, and your desires into reverence of the Most High God, other things change. People around you change. So if we want to change the world, and we're fighting in the political, sociological or psychological realm, we might do some good, but it won't take root. What will take root is loving your enemy, turning the other cheek, pray for those who persecute you, and live a quiet and confident life that says, I will not bend my knee to Herod. I will not bend my knee to a false god. I will not bend my knee to Nebuchadnezzar. I will not bend my knee to anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for me Praise be to God. I don't know what's happening. I'm seeing some really cool stuff. Some rising up of people saying, no more. I'm seeing churches turning around. I'm seeing people who no one's ever heard of being the primary voice in a culture in the moment. I'm seeing leaders decide to follow Jesus instead of just their own power. But it's not enough. I don't know where it's going. I don't. I'm not going to be one of those preachers that stands up and says, for these 15 reasons, Jesus is coming this year. But I do know that when Christianity 
is a minority, it tends to have greater effect than when we have power and authority in a culture. And you are God's chosen people for such a time as this. Will we have the kind of impact 2,000 years from now that those early Christians had in the first century of Rome? I hope so. We'll talk a little bit more next week about how to be a believer in an unbelieving world. Let's pray. Lord, I know today was primarily a history lesson, but you started that history. Your people were faithful to you, and the world changed. Not just a city, not just an empire, but two millennia of culture. Lord, we don't believe you're done. So don't let us lose heart. Don't let us be afraid. Remind us to be praying your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. And Lord, help us forgive those who sin against us. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God, our Father. Amen.